Hey guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. My name is Zach, and across the internet is my co-host, Micah. Hey, yep. And today, we're going to take a dive into the world of feats. So, Micah, why don't you start us off, talk to talk to our audience a little bit about why we wanted to talk about feats today. So, one, it's part of the game that everybody seems to either love or hate. Everybody has a different way of using it, and we feel like it's worth taking a look at how we use it in our own games, how maybe we have contemplated changing it in our own games, because I feel like at some point in time we have both had discussions about how we would better like to implement them. Maybe instead of an ASI, they could be used as boons, that sort of thing. So how you can go about implementing feats into your game, both as a character advancement thing, but also as potentially a character development or a way to further emphasize their backgrounds or just their unique characteristics and separate them from other people playing the same class, things like that. So a question that I have, and I'll answer it afterwards, my question to you to start off with would be, what does a feat mean to you? What do feats mean to you? What purpose does a feat serve in your games and to you as the player? So for me personally, I definitely like to have a numbers advantage when I am playing. But as I've gotten more and more into 5e, I have kind of moved further and further away from that side of it. I think feats are far more interesting when they have meaning to your path in the campaign as your character. How when they tie in specifically to maybe a role that you have picked up or played for your party. Uh, Mm -hmm. And how it can tie into who that character is as a whole, as opposed to just, this is just a very powerful tool for me to have. And there are some times where I think it's definitely justifiable that you want to pick something up like that for that reason. But I think feats are at their strongest when they kind of serve as part of the core identity of who you are as a character. And I would agree with that. Um, I I would say that maybe feats for me are... That thing which distinguishes your dragonborn fighter from another dragonborn fighter or your elf wizard from another elf wizard. They are that thing or at least one of those things mechanically which makes your build unique. Now, of course, with RP, with roleplay, hopefully you are developing a personality and a background and a backstory that adds to that uniqueness. But I think this is an opportunity to make yours unique along with the background idea the background aspect and that's why my biggest problem with feats is when they work against that i don't like feats like you just mentioned a little bit i don't like feats when they feel like they're a prerequisite to playing a class correctly or adequately if there's a feat that does that for a certain class then my argument might be well then it should just be part of the class it doesn't serve the purpose of a feat it's just adding to that specific build i think a feat should always feel like oh this makes me different not this makes me better at least that's my argument for it and to a certain extent i agree i think to most extents i agree which is why i kind of like feats as not something that has to take away from your asi and we can kind of dive in later on on how maybe you would go about in your game how you could 
handle that with your players. But one thing I do want to hit on as we kind of start plugging away at this is, of course, that the variant human gets a free feat starting out. Yeah. It makes them fairly popular to anyone who likes to min-max. And if you like playing a human, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But if I am playing in a a fantasy environment, a human is the last thing that mm. I want to touch. NPCs yeah. are fine. NPCs are great. I love making characters as a DM. But as a player, the last thing I'm interested in being is a human. Yeah, and that's definitely... I mean, you're, you're, I think, in the majority in some respects, but I, there are definitely people out there that like to play humans for good reason. But I think what we have a problem with, what I have a problem with, is those those folks, problem is too, too strong of a word, but I have a difficulty understanding those folks who want to play a human because of the feet. And I think it hurts the overall feel of the game when you're picking something because it comes with a feat. Yeah, which is why some people frown upon this because it is fairly strong. But it's why I see a lot of people who say that they like to start their all of their players off with a free feat. Yeah. That way you don't feel like if you if you really want a feat in your build, you don't feel like you have to go human. And I think you could even tailor that a little bit more tightly. If you want to give everybody a free feat, you could aim it as in you can pick from this group of feats. Yeah. I mean, something like actor, as I'm just kind of going through this linguist, which can be pretty good, but it's not necessarily a, a raw statistical bump. Healer. Those non-combat feats. Right. There's plenty of feats that I feel like can add something to a character without being just a straight statistical advantage for any encounter or situation your characters find themselves in that do tie into who they may have been as a character in the past, who they are as a character now, that allow you to give yourself a little bit more of an identity. And it's kind of a fun little mechanic thing that you can add in as well. It's... It gets frustrating. Like, I, I am 100% down with DMs rewarding players with feats or whatever at early levels. I get frustrated. I You know, we go to conventions and whatnot, and I'm running a lot of Tier 1, Tier 2 games. And I'll have a table where three frontline fighters, all three of them have the Sentinel feat. Or we have two archers, and they both have the sharpshooter feat. There's almost... One, at least one person in every group who has the alert feat. They can never be surprised by anything. Like, I, I maybe you haven't had alert pop up in your games as oh, often as I have, but alert Always. pops up in, in every one of my games, which, again, that's not as big of a deal, but plus five to perception can be huge. Yeah. Um, and then never being surprised just means it's that much more difficult to really make your party feel like they're they're in danger. That's yeah. that's been my biggest difficulty. I feel like with Adventures League, is there's so many magic items going around and there's so much power within the players. It can be fairly difficult to give them an intense experience at the table that they can really walk or walk away from and feel like, wow, that was that was something. So, what would you do? Or what are you doing in your own games to address feats? How do you handle them? First of all, I want to back up. It's plus five in initiative, not. perception but even still being able to go if you are able to go just that much more consistently before anything else means some fights are over one or two rounds faster like it's a big deal with how that plays out absolutely 
what do you do in your own games to address feats or do you just let them be as is? So as of right now, in my game, nobody has really approached me about feats. Feats really have not been something that's popped up too much. So I've just kind of allowed them to be as they are, but I have definitely begun making plans for potentially awarding them as things they can do for training. We're approaching the point in my campaign where downtime will be more prevalent. So things that they can train for, spend those downtime hours trying to attain, practicing on as maybe just a this is off the cuff, so it's not necessarily specifically what I'm planning. But if you have someone who tends to take a lot of punishment in every engagement, but somehow they never actually drop, they find a means of staying alive, of healing back up, of weathering those blows, maybe if they take so much damage without going down, maybe you grant them the tough feat. makes them even yep. more difficult to take down, more hit points, and they feel like they've earned it. I wouldn't give your players a list of if you do these things, you unlock this feat. Cause I think that goes back into the power gaming mentality of people start just like doing checklists of things they need to do to get certain abilities. But I mm-hmm. think if you have noted how your players are approaching situations, if you have notes on how they, how encounters have gone, how individual people have played, what kind of styles or, techniques they like to use i think you could definitely sprinkle them in as rewards for role play as well as maybe like a boon or something for downtime or even incorporate into like a minor magic item not necessarily a minor magic item but maybe don't require attunement for it so it's basically like a a free feat but it feels like you're actually getting a thing yeah People like getting things so bake exactly. it into a magic item where it's like oh cool the sweet magic item and it's also a feat from the book without having to do any like crazy work on making something up. And, and to speak kind of, I guess in, in defense of something you brought up and, and regarding those magic items, I, I actually have players in my current game who have magic weapons that if they do certain things, which they know about, they achieve certain checklists, they can unlock feats based on their usage of that item. So, I, I do kind of like the checklist, but I like it being tied to a specific thing. And I only give it to people who I think like the game part of D&D. Not that they hate the story or the role play, but they actually like that like number crunching or whatever. And when you're playing online, you don't have the tactical feel of a grid and map. But by giving them a list and saying, here, start checking things off as you do them, it's giving them that feel of actually playing a game which isn't a bad thing. I mean, D&D is at its heart a game. I don't mind encouraging that for some players. Well, I think you do have a good point. I think there are some players who can do that respectfully. And I think in some situations, it, it, it certainly can be okay. I mean, you have Colville who's talked about having heirloom weapons or items in his game, like his shield, where after they took so many critical hits or whatever, it unlocked a new ability on it. And I think he mentioned that that was kind of a secret thing, which again, maybe helps people avoid trying to do specific things. But I think in some situations like that, where it is like a progressive item, uh, especially if it's something that's going to come naturally anyway, you can kind of lay that out for them. You don't have to necessarily tell them what it is. I think Mm -hmm. that helps avoid them 
trying to go for certain situations. I think even on the flip side of that, if you really wanted to be devious, maybe if it's a sentient weapon and it's a good aligned sentient weapon, but you do too many evil things with it, maybe you then corrupt that weapon and it gains additional traits or a curse that you can't easily shake that is a detriment to you. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, something like that. I mean, you can have drawbacks to potentially following this checkpoint system as well when you keep those hidden but if you do reveal them it gives your players something to strive for it gives them long-term goals and that's not necessarily a bad thing i I do think it depends on the player i think it depends on the item and i think it depends on what those benefits are but you there's always a situation where that is both beneficial and better for the game yeah and i would say in my own games i mentioned there's magic items that can get feats but also I don't really make a whole lot of changes or or requirements or anything. People can have the level one human, but I guess what I do to combat that is I like my players, I like my party to feel powerful. I like them to feel like they can handle stuff and that each one of them are gaining abilities, gaining items on a consistent basis that make them feel like they can handle situations. And I think that when players have agency, when they feel like they are powerful... They are less inclined to say, well, I need to take this feat to get this other thing. And I would rather they, if there's going to be a path for feats and they're just going to become this part of like, well, every fighter is going to take the Sentinel and every archer is going to take the sharpshooter. I'd rather say, you know what? I'm just going to make you really give you a really good bow. So you look at the sharpshooter and you say, man, I kind of already have that. I'll go do something else. Or I have half of that. So maybe I'll just take something else. And what I have found is that that encourages my party to kind of become more diverse. And on the back end, I can handle a party that's maybe could handle one or two more points of CR than the average third level party or eighth level party. So I don't really mess with feats that much. I kind of let them be out there, but I kind of like you in that I don't really experience in my own individual games that I'm running a ton of heavy feat use, but I think it's rampant and I see it rampant outside of my own quiet games if we are talking about adventures like it's not like you can implement a lot of those these systems into those games it is what it is but i think some players take that to them with other tables or they just come to the tables expecting to they get online they look up a build for what's ever because you kind of get this rpg video gaming mentality where everyone kind of looks up oh what's the the best class build for this i got these stats what should i make with it trying to make as optimal a thing as possible which again is okay but that does lead them oftentimes into you want to take these feats at these levels and you want to take these ability score creases at these levels and so they they are just following like this cookie cutter build and i think if you give them more empowerment to do whatever they want and you'll work with them on their character development. Aside from that, I think it opens up the game a little bit more for them and how they approach it. This all kind of ties into another episode that we hope to record in the near future, which is D&D as a role-playing game versus D&D as a strategy game. Because I think it fills both very well. And obviously, yes, you can do both at the same time, but a lot of people enjoy the games for two very different reasons. I mean, 4th Edition is a great example of that, I feel like, and that alienated a lot of people because it was a little bit more of a strategy combat simulator and maybe a little bit less of a role-playing game. Yeah, and feats, I think, are where that 
diversion is highlighted within the player base. Your role play people are the people who, when it comes to looking at a feat, say, what is my character going to do? Or what has he learned throughout this campaign? What can I pick up? And that's a completely valid way of choosing a feat. And your your strategy people say, how can I optimize what I'm doing right now to get the most bang for my buck out of this build? And that's a completely reasonable thing, too. So I guess it comes down to where I land on feats for your table or for any table is, as a player, know what kind of a game you're in. And if you want more role play, then I think you've got to approach feats, approach leveling in the sense of what's not optimal, but what's what's not optimal for combat, but what's optimal to encourage that role play. And if you're a DM running a game, I think you got to look at feats and say, if I want people to pick interesting feats, then I've got to create an atmosphere where they don't feel like they need optimization. Well, and one thing I want to hit on is some of these feats, I feel like bake in things that we already take for granted in the rules. And <laughs> especially in the form of things that feel required for certain classes so if you're someone who likes to dual wield for example which statistically i i I don't want to jump in numbers a whole lot but statistically falls behind like great weapon master and other builds that you can do if you're looking for damage output yeah but you almost feel like you have to take the dual wielder feat you don't have you're not restricted to light weapons you gain the plus one ac but also an important thing that i think probably every dm just ignores is that it gives you the ability to draw and stow two one-handed weapons in your move action instead of just one that way you can actually use both weapons which normally you're not supposed to do i feel like stuff like that can easily just be tied into existing class things without feeling like you're required to mechanically take it in order to to be viable yeah some of these feats feel like they're a forced feat like oh, we want a two-weapon fighter feat, and so here's here's the rules that we're going to build to make that happen. Dual weapon, I mean, you could probably show me on pen and paper how if you just let everyone have the dual wielder feat as part of the regular in-game rules, it would be broken. But I don't know. Like, I feel like it's something where they couldn't build it into a class, so they said, well, we're going to make it a feat, and only so many people could use it. Now, this is a little bit off from the mechanic side of feats, but one that I particularly like is Dungeon Delver. And not necessarily because of the effects it gives, but I really feel like the name should just be changed to Paranoid. And it's (laughs) the the Paranoid bonus, the Paranoid feat, because you have advantage saving throws made to avoid or resist traps, resistant to the damage, moving at a fast pace doesn't impose the normal negative five penalty to your passive wisdom score. And the reason I like that is I've had plenty of campaigns where i had players never check for traps or they check for traps at literally every single door because of one bad experience and i could definitely see this being kind of a fun perk to throw someone's way for running into too many of those exactly there's quite a few feats that i really like in there one that comes right off the bat is linguist i think that's a really fun feat that has some rp interactions and it just gets you know you'll get you'll get a lot of use out of it and i think that it can make a lot of sense for some of these hyper intelligent like a rogue mastermind or a wizard or something like that it just makes a lot of sense for certain characters to have that feat and, and it, it doesn't it doesn't make you more powerful it just makes make you more rounded there's another one that i really like i really like elemental adept 
And I don't know that it's the most powerful feat you can find. Or I think you could argue that if you're if you're a sorcerer or a wizard and you're slinging a lot of fire bolts and fireballs and fire walls of fire and flaming spheres and everything, that that feat can have some power. But I just like the idea of, I think it fits in well with the idea, especially of a sorcerer, that your bloodline lends itself towards more spell, certain spells being more potent than others. So I get excited when people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to play a sorcerer, and then I, on my feet I'm going to choose Lightning Adept. Oh, that's cool. You've just told me something really interesting about your character. Another one that I really like is Shieldmaster, just mm-hmm. because I feel like shields don't get a ton of interesting uses. When you play like an RPG or like a tank class, you get a lot of shield bashes, you get a bunch of shield maneuvers that make you feel kind of like this indomitable wall. And Shieldmaster gives you a little bit of that flavor. When you're in the thick of a melee, you can give another creature disadvantage on their attacks if they're close enough to you because they have to get through you and your shield. You can use the Mm -hmm. shield to like help protect yourself from a fire fireball. You add it to your dexterity saves, which is kind of just a cool feeling to it. So something like Shieldmaster, I think while it's, it is also good, it definitely makes you feel a bit more, like you're you are that frontline fighter, like you are that frontline tank that you are doing more to protect your party. Because oftentimes people are when they play those tankier classes, they're looking to be the tank, the meat shield. And this way you can actively do things to kind of prevent them from hitting your allies. And see, this is a thing where I actually like Pathfinder better. I'm gonna say some sacrilege right here. But I actually really like Pathfinder's approach to feats better in that those martial classes they said, hey, Here's a list of combat feats. They're actual real feats, but here's a list of combat ones. And every so often you can pick one of those as an extra feat. And that lets that fighter have that shield mastery and become that unique fighter without feeling like he has to use his his one feat to do that. And it makes sense. It's within the scope of the class. Well, and as I remember, Pathfinder, the feats were separate from your ability score increases, so you could have your cake and eat it too. You're exactly right. So I I just really liked that idea of martial classes kind of getting those extra feats and getting a list to choose from, and that just allows a lot of variety. We still have some of that in the archetypes, but again, Pathfinder had that too. There's just another layer of variety that I think they did well. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about with regards to feats? No, I think that pretty much wraps up our thoughts. I know we were a little bit all over the place there, but I think feats are very interesting. I think no matter how you incorporate them into your games, I think it can be a good thing, even if it does just come down to the number crunching. There's nothing wrong with that. It still makes the game better for you if that's the kind of thing you like. But I think there are ways to implement them in to your characters, to your games, in a way that doesn't make your your players feel like they have to take it over that ability score increase that still feels organic and good for play and helps develop your characters as a a truly unique character as opposed Mm -hmm. to feeling like they they have to take certain things to be good in whatever role they choose to take. Exactly. I am in 100% agreement. I think that does it for me as well. Micah, tell these folks where they can find us on the interwebs. You guys can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are at a bite of D&D. Leave us a review on 
iTunes, anywhere like that. Any feedback helps. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And I have begun reaching out to people on Twitter. We actually have quite a backlog of people that we are planning to talk to. We're going to begin doing some community creator episodes and really trying to shine a spotlight on what is going on in the D&D community, especially on maybe the smaller side of things, people who aren't going to get a lot of exposure anyway. And it's not like we're a ton. We're a relatively small podcast. But I think the community is what makes this great. I think that is something that we really want to hit on. So if you think you have something cool, you have an adventure you want to share with us, something you want us to check out, feel free to DM us on Twitter. We'll take a look and hopefully have you on the show. But yeah, other than that, you guys have a good one. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.